You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Del Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host Lance Sanderson. Joining me as per usual is my good friend and colleague. He is mile high huddle senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Now Eric, before we get into this dude, we got to recap what happened over this last weekend, man. It was absolute blast to go down to the Mile High Huddle meet and greet at the Jets game, meet every single buddy, every single person that came down there. There's well over 100 people there. We signed autographs. Dude, how was your weekend? I know for me it was a, an amazing weekend. Uh, it was awesome. It was a little rough on the voice, and I'm still kind of dealing with it a little bit. and hurts a little bit to talk, but uh, I'll manage and get through tonight and just been downing hot tea and honey. But uh, it, it was exciting, and the whole time it was so surreal. I mean, there was like a 20-minute period there where we were just spinning around in a circle, basically signing autographs. It was nuts. And then being able to go to my first game and having it be a shutout, I don't care if it was the Jets. Man, it was just such an awesome experience to be in there. And, I mean, Lance could tell tell you guys, like I was like a little kid in a candy shop, man. Like I'm sure my eyes were big like just looking around. I've been in the stadium before, but it's been 15, 16 years for me. And so it was just so awesome to see everything. The skydivers coming down was awesome. Like the whole experience was just fantastic. Yeah, man. It was it was great to sit next to Dale and Gretchen, and those guys were gracious enough to to invite us to come and join them for the football game. Uh, shout out to those guys. If I, I know they're probably going to be listening to the show after the fact, but shout out to to Dale and Gretchen for being wonderful hosts and for everything that they've done for us. And we're just so gracious for that. I mean, it was it was really like Eric said, it was surreal, you know, to see some of the people there that have followed us for over the the, the course of two years on our on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast uh, over the course of the our entire tenure at milehighhuddle.com like it was it was amazing and to see you know we're we're just guys you know we're like we're just typical average human beings just like just like you guys you know and to have people come up and just nervous and and not necessarily shaking but you could tell that there was a nervousness about some people like these guys are real they're they're actually here that like to have that was just an amazing feeling and you guys really don't know i i say it all the time and i told everybody that was there and shout out to everyone that was there you know who you are uh that without you guys we really couldn't do what we do like it's literally because of the the following that we have that we have this platform and to, to get to cover the broncos in that way is is just an amazing feeling so but guys we have a very very special show for you today we have a, a special uh, special guest we found an orthopedic surgeon uh shout out to kenneth booker by the way for getting us in contact with uh with this guy um, to come on and we're going to talk about the KJ Hamler injury and, the, and the, the surgery operation and everything that goes into that and get some insider insights on what it actually means to have an injury like that. But before we get started, guys, got to get some matters of business out of the way. First things first, you guys can find us on Twitter by following me at Sanderson MHH and for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also, guys, while you are at it, make sure you guys are following at Mile High Huddle. That's the mother account where you guys are going to find instant news and analysis, film breakdowns, opinion articles, anything regarding your Denver Broncos. That's where you guys are going to find it. If you guys are on Facebook, make sure you go to facebook.com slash Mile High Huddle. Click that blue Become a Supporter button so you guys can get some premium content like the Trickle Zone, which is coming up on Saturday at noon, Kelberman's Corner as well on Sunday, as also as well as the, uh, um, the Broncos Book Club with Chad Jensen on Sundays as well listen up broncos country tick pick should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees ever tick pick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the huddle up podcast and the blue wire network denver broncos football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find broncos tickets anymore because tick pick that's t-i-c-k P-I-C-K is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another 
ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right, guys. When we were searching for tickets for the MHH meet and greet for week three at home, Broncos versus Jets, TickPick had us locked down. So visit TickPick.com slash huddle today and use the promo code huddle to save $10 on your first order of Broncos tickets. But uh, with that, guys, we're going to we're gonna go ahead and bring him on here. We have Dr. Graham Cohen. Graham, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome aboard, and thank you for joining us, man. How are you doing? Of course. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on here. Just want to say congratulations to Bronco Nation, you know, looking strong so far, and absolutely love the city of Denver and the people there. So it's I'm happy to be here and be a part of this. Yeah, man. Thanks for that. We, we we appreciate you again for joining the show and appreciate the kind words there. So first things first, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Let all of our listeners and followers know who you are, what you do, and kind of the direction you want your career to be going into. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm a Pittsburgh boy, uh, Steeler Nation. Uh, so hopefully no hard feelings here on, on the show, but I uh, grew up in Pittsburgh, uh, spent some time out in Los Angeles with my training. Um, I'm currently located in a smaller city in Ohio between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, but um, love sports, love sports medicine, and we see a lot of sports injuries with what we do. So um, follow sports religiously, especially football in the NFL. So um, see this stuff week to week and, um, you know, really like helping these athletes getting back to back to form at the end of the day. Now, so what's the what's the end game here? Are you trying to become Dr. James Andrews, or is, like, <laughs> is is that kind of the path that you're on here? Um, I think for me, you know, more the community level. You know, I like you know treating high school, um, you know, kids, you know, from early ages up through. You know, I wouldn't mind maybe a semi-professional type of role, but certainly the stuff that Dr. Andrews does and some of the other you know team doctors, it's a lot of time and a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that you know, um, you got to tip your hat off to them. It's, it's a lot of unsung type of work and, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of pressure involved with that. Certainly. Yeah, man. Uh, absolutely. I, so a little background for me and some of our followers actually know this. I was mm-hmm. uh, in college for athletic training. I wanted to be, mm-hmm. you know, the first guy out there on the field and trying to get these guys taken care of and stuff like that. And also the rehab process. So I have kind of a little bit of a, not extensive, but a little bit of a, a medical background for me sure. as well. So I can kind of, hang a little bit with the conversation here, mm-hmm. but uh, no, to, to understand, you know, the care that and the prevention and stuff like that, that goes into uh, taking care of these major injuries. I mean, this is a traumatic injury for KJ Hamler. Obviously, as everybody knows in Broncos country, he suffered a torn ACL against the, uh, the New York jets this last week. And there might actually be some more stuff in there. We don't exactly know that for 100%. So there could be some more cartilage damage and stuff like that. But uh, Graham, to get right into it, you uh, we mm-hmm. kind of looked over the injury right before we went live. Uh, what did you see as far as the injury modality? What happened and what went wrong there? Yeah, so I mean, it's close to a, a classical presentation for an ACL tear or rupture. Um, a lot of times it's a non-contact pivoting type of injury when you see other videos such as this one, you, you almost wonder, you know, did this person kind of get shot from the sky or, you know, a, a sniper type of mechanism, but there was a little bit of contact on the play, but um, it was one in which he was up in the air, a little bit vulnerable coming to the ground. And then there's a twisting mechanism that was involved or a pivot uh, with a planted foot. And that's, it's classic for, for what we see with these ACL injuries. Yeah, man. So on something like that, is there any way, I mean, not necessarily for that particular play, but, you know, just some of those other non-contact kind of injuries where, uh, is there any kind of prevention that you can go into that strengthening muscle groups around the knee, or is there something that you can do to really prevent a torn ACL, especially at the professional level in the NFL? Sure. I, I think it's, it's challenging for a position such as a wide receiver, who's a lot of times in a vulnerable position up in the air going for a ball and really, their job is to catch it and, and land in bounds. So um, you really can't teach that other than to try and fall gracefully. But when you're being contacted in the air, there are some variables out of your control. Um, in terms of, you know, off-season training and things like that, there's certainly ways when they're doing things like plyometric uh, training where you're, you're strengthening your quad muscles, your hamstrings, all the muscles that kind of go around the knee. Uh, there's certain ways they teach you how to land to keep your, it's called your mechanical act alignment or your axis and in such a way where you're not putting as much stress on that ACL and those ligaments in your knee. 
Awesome. So the, so really a lot of it's isometric, plyometric kind of training and stuff like that, Bulk, mm-hmm. bulking essentially everything around that uh, to really kind of pre- prevent that kind of an injury. And obviously a lot of this one for, for KJ, it's really kind of, uh, a, a, is it really a freak injury on something like that? Or is that something you would typically see? Um, you know, honestly, it's more of, I'd say I'd expect it more on a route running type of thing or something, you know, something like a, a running back doing a, a quick pivot or, you know, cut back to a different direction, you know, not necessarily so much coming down, you know, from the air, but I think it was more of that planted foot and twisting mechanism, um, that really did him in. Um, so yeah, it, it does unfortunately happen. And, and in this case, he just, I think it was more of the, uh, the landing and twist that, that really got him. Okay. Sounds good. Before we continue on with this, I want to say hello to everybody in our chat really fast. Obviously we have Scott behind the scenes, but uh, Michaela Parker jumping in here and Michaela was one of the, one of the people that uh, was at the mile high huddle meet and greet. And she was amazing. She was at, she was the life of the party. Everybody went up and said, hello. Uh, she shook hands with damn near everybody that was there. Uh, Tommy Simmers in the house as well. Uh, Malcolm Brown, our buddy from up in Homer, Alaska in the house. I know Eric's going to appreciate that one. Uh, by the way, Eric's going to kind of hang out just for a minute behind the scenes here, unless he wants to jump in and ask a question for, uh, for Graham here, but, uh, uh, Travis Weber as well. One of our leading star donators. We'll get back to that here in just a few minutes. Uh, let's see here. Greg Smith. Good evening. How are you guys doing? Thank you all for joining the Dove Valley deep divers. Now, Graham, uh, as far as we, we already kind of discussed a little bit of the the mechanism, the injury modality and, and what kind of goes on with that. Uh, now we're obviously aligned. We've got the diagnosis, torn ACL. Potentially there's some more stuff in there. Pre-surgery, what kind of care would you recommend for something like this, especially in an athlete? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you know, any anyone athlete or anyone that tears an ACL, pain control is big, you know, keeping the swelling down. The more the swelling has, you know, reduced you know, the, the sooner you can potentially get to a surgery, but what they talk about in, in the orthopedic surgery realm is prehab. So really getting motion back, you want full extension at the knee, you want as much flexion as you can. Um, because that really looking forward to the post-operative protocol, um, you want, you want motion restored before you go in for surgery. Yeah, that, that was a big thing. And that was something that I'd kind of heard before. Um, especially I can't remember exactly who it was, that had a, a big ACL tear and they waited for a long time before they mm-hmm. went into, uh, into surgery to make sure that the swelling went down. Why exactly do you want to wait for that swelling to get out of the way? Yeah. I, it's so the, the term in, uh, that we talk about, it's called arthrofibrosis. And if it, that's something that you worry about, if there's a lot of swelling before surgery and if that arthrofibrosis, which is, you know, a dreaded thing in our community develops after surgery outcomes are significantly worse um, and it, it really leads to a, a dismal type of, you know, return to sports or return to normal activity afterwards. So the more that swelling subsides, the, the better you are at a uh, successful surgery and a uh, successful return to play. Okay. So now the way that I understood it when I was going through athletic training school and knee injuries were something that I had a weird fascination with. My dad had multiple ACL surgeries, uh, multiple back surgeries as well. So coming up as a kid, I kind of had a, a, a little bit of an insight into that process and everything like that. So the way I understood it was there are two different kinds of ACL repair surgeries. You have a, uh, a patellar tendon graft and a cadaver replacement. Can you explain a little bit mm-hmm. behind the process between those two, how they're different and which one you would prefer? Sure. Yeah. So there's actually, uh, and, and research has kind of gone into this, there's repairs, there's reconstructions. Um, so a repair is something that really, the results really haven't been shown to be too great. And it depends on the type of tear that you have. If you have a partial tear, then maybe a, um, a repair of that, that tendon or I'm sorry, the ligament that's in there is more of an option, but you know, results really haven't been there. So in terms of a reconstruction, which you alluded to before, you have what's called an autograft and an allograft. An allograft is taken from a cadaver, um, somebody who's graciously donated their, um, you know, their organs and, and other parts of their body for science and, and for people that need them. Um, so you take a graft and, and you utilize that. Typically that's done in older individuals. Uh, we're doing ACL reconstruction sometimes in people in their 30s and 40s. Um, so maybe that's a case where we'd consider an allograft. But um, a lot of times we go for that autograft. So that's utilizing tissue from your own body. Um, and as you mentioned before, there's the patella tendon. That's very common. You can also use part of your hamstring 
or your quad tendon. So there's three that we really, uh, a lot of times it depends on the, the surgeon's training and their preference as to which one's best. There's a lot of research, I think within the last, you know, five years, around 600 articles about ACL reconstructions and surrounding these different types of graphs. So there's a lot that goes into it. And, um, you know, it's just probably a lot of times what the surgeon prefers in terms of what they're going with. But I think an autograft would be, you know, something that holds up well for a high level athlete. Okay. That's actually very interesting. Cause I'd, I'd heard, um, cadaver replacement was a, was a big way that some other people have gone mm -hmm. before. Um, and then my dad, he had a partially torn ACL there. Um, when he was younger, I think he was in his late twenties and they actually, instead of doing a graft, they did a reconstruction on it where they actually mm -hmm. kind of, uh, they kind of burned, I think is what they did. They burned his tendon to try to make it a little bit, uh, a little bit tougher. Um, I'm not mm -hmm. exactly sure how that surgery went. Um, I do know that he had to have a, a later uh, knee surgery and both of his knees are now actually fully replaced um, in his early fifties. So that that's just kind of a, a little insight onto that. I want to grab this here really fast because Lawrence Rivera coming in here, will KJ ever be the same? Is this something that's going to hamper KJ for the rest of his career? Will he have, no. be able to come back from this? No, I mean, it's a, it's a great question and it's really something that, you know, unfortunately this part we can't predict um, statistics show that about 63% of athletes who suffer this type of injury are able to return to their pre-injury level. So, I mean, it's the odds, you know, may not be in his favor, but if you look at, um, you know, past injuries like Ronkowski or Brady or Adrian Peterson, you know, those that were able to come back, um, you know, there are success stories. So, you know, part of it, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, but you know, it's, it's hard to predict at this point, you know, hopefully he does come back, you know, he's a great player and, um, but you know, it's the, the science is, is kind of left up in the area as to who's going to do well and who's not at the end of the day. Right. And a lot of that goes into sports psychology just a little bit because the mental aspect mm -hmm. coming off of a major injury like that, uh, is, is something that you really have to take into consideration as though as well. So that is something to, to keep an eye on, uh, KB 82 jumping in here. Uh, is this, is that Ken's Booker? I think that is Kenny Booker. Uh, quick, quick question for Graham. Uh, does it surprise how fast Vaughn has regained his explosiveness coming off of a dislocated peroneal tendon? Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing, especially at the, the pro level. Uh, I think they have, you know, some resources on their side, you know, having the, the best athletic trainers and the best strength coaches and the best, you know, the best care around the clock certainly helps them get back to tip top shape. But, you know, it's great to see. And, you know, an injury like this for you or, not, you or I, you know, we may be, you know, never playing a sport we want to again, or really at a, a level we'd want to. But, you know, it's great to see that, you know, he's doing well with it. Yeah. Uh, Peter Middleton jumping in here. Uh, shame no Derek Wolf due to injuries. He was one of my favorite players. Let's go Broncos. I'm on holiday enjoying this Dove Valley Deep Divers pod. Thanks, Peter, for joining us. Peter, actually, Graham, uh, fun fact for you here. Peter joins us from Cambodia every single Friday. Awesome. So it's it's like five o'clock in the morning where he's at right now. So yeah, if he's on awesome. holiday, I'm not exactly sure where he's at. But shout out <laughs> to Peter for doing the Lord's work behind the scenes. Uh, Michaela Parker as well jumping in here with a $20 super chat. Thank you so much uh, both for a wonderful Sunday. It was amazing meeting you both and Michaela uh, for Eric as well. It was it was awesome to be able to meet you in person. And it was it was great to be able to shake your hand, give you a big, huge hug. And just to, to see that everyone gravitated towards you like this is the Duchess. She is amazing. Her and Christy Ramiti were major stars. Uh, Kayaka Mondragon was in the house as well. Like, guys, it was it was just an amazing time. Uh, now before we get into any more of these stars, I want to talk just a little bit before we, we get Graham on his way. I know you got some stuff going on tonight as well. Um, so post-operation for KJ Hamler, something like this on as, as far as the repair to the ACL, let's say you do the auto graft and you take from his hamstring tendon, uh, something like that. What, what kind of care does he need to have prior to getting back to activity? Yeah, it's, it's a long road. Um, you know, it, it's a number of months before you're going to see them at activity and then back on the field. Um, it starts with typically with an ACL reconstruction, you can be weight bearing, you know, from day one, there is some protection in terms of range of motion and obviously um, sports specific type of activity. But one of the first things to, to really get back is the range of motion. And that's something that was started in, in the pre pre-injury or I'm sorry, the pre-surgery phase. Um, so you're working on range of motion and then you really, once you get that range of motion back, you start to slowly bring back in 
strengthening. So they call closed chain types of exercises where your foot's planted on platforms doing uh, leg presses and, and squats and those types of things to really build the quads, the hamstrings, everything complementary type of muscles back up. And then from there you go to, you know, balance types of exercises, proprioception, meaning knowing where your body is in space. It's kind of this neuromuscular um, ability of your body to really sense, you know, where you are in space and time. Um, and then from there you go to your sports specific activities, the cutting drills, the, the plyometrics, all those types of things. So there's really this, this chain of events that has to happen before, you know, you see them back on the field. And there's, I can tell you a lot of hard work from the therapists and, and, you know, and everyone behind the scenes that really goes into this and the athlete too, we say that we do maybe 5% of the work, but you know, it's really the patient or the athlete at the end of the day, that's in charge of getting themselves back out there. So it's, it really takes a lot and, you know, they're to be commended if they're able to get back out there at all. Yeah. That's, that's really well said. And I, I agree with everything you just said there. Obviously I don't know nearly as much about this stuff, but it does, I mean, knowing a little bit of the rehabilitation from injury, obviously range of motion, uh, swelling, pain control is really the biggest thing you got to work on um, at the very beginning stages and then working on re-strengthening, re-strengthening the joint itself and everything around it that comes back mm -hmm. into it. Uh, last one for you before we, before we move on and get into our uh, Broncos versus Ravens coverage that we're going to have here in just a, a couple of minutes and guys if you have uh, another just quick question for Graham, make sure you get it in right now before we get out of here uh deandre weatherspoon jumping in here really fast uh hey michael we'll get right back to you buddy uh deandre weatherspoon coming in and asks how long will it take for uh kj hamler to heal from his torn acl and possibly an lcl injury i'm not exactly mm -hmm. sure I, I haven't seen any solid reporting on that but there was speculation that there was an lcl injury in there as well how long mm -hmm. would it take for him to come back from that yeah. So I think the limiting factor is going to be the ACL. A lot of times if the LCL is not completely disrupted and I'm not sure in his case, if it was or not, then it's treated more as a sprain and it just kind of follows the same rehab protocol that they would for an ACL. But in terms of return to sport, return to play, you know, you're looking at probably a nine month period, if not longer, there are some variances. Some people return earlier, some people return later. Uh, depending on how well the rehab go, but it, unfortunately it's a season ending injury. It's one that's devastating. You know, these, these athletes work so, so hard and you just hate to see it, but um, you know, hopefully he gets back to back to form and um, but it is a long, long recovery, you know, so hopefully we'll be seeing them next year in, in good shape. Yeah, absolutely, man. Hey, Graham, thank you very much. We were going to try to get to some Jerry Judy stuff and to some uh, Josie Jewell stuff as well. But unfortunately, we were running out of time here. We got to get back to our Broncos and Ravens coverage. So, Graham, thank you very much, Dr. Cohen, for joining us. Guys, make sure you give a nice round of applause and and uh, obviously get after Dr. Graham here, uh, Dr. Graham <laughs> Cohen, for, for coming on. Thank you very much, man. We appreciate you and have a great night. Go Broncos. Thank you guys. Good luck to the Broncos and, you know, love the city, you know, and hello to all the fans out there. Everyone all take right. care. All right. Thanks, Graham. And there he goes, guys. That's Dr. Graham Cohen, uh, orthopedic surgeon, uh, coming in here to break down a lot of very interesting, at least to me, information. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Now, uh, with that all taken care of, and thank you all for, for joining us again on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. Got to run through some super chats here really fast. Uh, actually, uh, Scott, do we have any stars that we've missed so far? Uh, Michael, we're on Quio jumping in here. Uh, good evening, Lance and Eric and Broncos country. Go Broncos. Now, guys, let's uh, let's go into this really fast. We did actually, speaking of the Stars donations, we did actually hit our goal for uh, September on the Justin Simmons giveaway. Make sure you guys are in tuned on Sunday for the gut reaction following the Denver Broncos game uh, for the new goal and also a live giveaway for that Justin Simmons jersey to everyone on Facebook and the five YouTube Super Chat superstars that were entered into the draw. Peter Middleton jumping in here. Uh, how high would you draft a receiver now? Would you sign Tim Patrick and get a speedster in the draft? Eric, I'm going to welcome you back into the show. What do you think of Peter's questions here? I mean, it's obviously it's a little bit rough because you don't want to go and spend a high investment in a receiver, particularly the speedster, if KJ Hamler is going to come back. But you, at the same time, you can't completely bet on KJ Hamler coming back just in case he isn't. So I would say that if you want to go get a speedster, probably late day two, early day three. Uh, I don't know if they will bring Tim Patrick back. And I was talking with somebody about this earlier. 
they it wouldn't surprise me or the guy I was talking with for them to actually tag Patrick and then work at trading him. Seems like they want to figure out something to get more from him in return besides a, just a compensatory pick, but also sounds like that they're not willing to move on from him before the trade deadline because of the injuries that have piled up. So we're going to have to see what's what happens in it, but uh, I haven't done a lot of work on receivers for this class yet. Um, they're typically one of the last positions that I really get to, but uh, from conversations I've had with Nick Kendall, it seems to be a pretty solid wide receiver class. Well, it seems like every year is a solid wide receiver class, especially over the last couple of years. I mean, it, well, two years ago was a really good one with obviously Jerry Judy, this last one coming in, you know, uh, Rashad Bateman, Kadarius Tony, guys like that. Like the, the the receiver crop coming out of college is at an all-time high. It seems like there's always a, a speedster or a, a quality dual threat or a big body guy that's going to rise up to the occasion. Um, and off the top of my head, I'm not actually drawing any names. But uh, no, as far as drafting a receiver right now, um, there's some other needs and I want to kind of see how everything comes back with Jerry Judy, obviously coming off of that ankle injury we talked about earlier and also with KJ Hamler as well. Um, it's maybe a little bit early in the process, uh, obviously a little early in the process for his recovery, but it's early enough in the year. We might see KJ Hamler return next season. Um, and also they have Tyree Cleveland that they like a lot. They have Seth Williams, who they like a lot. Tim Patrick right now, and as Lawrence Rivera comes in here and astutely says, Tim Patrick is our best wide receiver right now in my eyes. And it's really hard to argue against that. Eric, what do you think about that? I mean, right now it it's not it's it is hard to argue with that because Cortland Sutton, he's still working his way back. And you mentioned about KJ Hamler. I fully expect to see him back next season, like early next season. Tim or Cortland Sutton, he had his ACL injury week two last year. KJ Hamler's week three. So I would expect it might be a little bit of a slow start, but KJ Hamler should be back. Um, depending on you know any hangups or anything like that. And Albert Okoy Benam, he's been back, so he should be back. Um as modern medicine progresses, the concern of ACL tears has kind of gone down a little bit. Um, I mean, what was it like 20 years ago? It was like a 15% chance to come back. And we just saw uh, uh, Graham come in and say that it's at 63 or 64% now. So it's definitely improving. So should be back. We got to continue something to be monitored on. But uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, Tim Patrick, he's the best one right now because just Cortland Sutton's still working his way back. Well, and like Dominic says, he's just so sure-handed. I mean, all last year he had, what, uh, 71 receptions with or something like that with zero drops. So, it, like, this guy is amazing. And he had a great game against the New York Jets, filling in for after K.J. Hamlin. Had two uh, deep passes down either sideline. In fact, one of them happened right directly in front of Eric and I. We were sitting uh, right at the goal line on the left sideline when when uh, Tim Patrick went up and caught that ball and uh, set up the uh, – um, was that the uh, the Melvin Gordon touchdown? Or no, that was actually later. That was a fumble for Javante Williams right, right there at the end of the game. Um, but anyways, guys, enough about all that. Let's get into some of this Baltimore Ravens uh, breakdown for you guys. Obviously, key matchups to watch. This is, is a big thing that we do on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. Eric, what's the biggest one for you? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go to the offensive line and defensive line. All three games so far, that's where I've gone. Uh, I'm going to go with a actually attack the the linebackers of the Baltimore Ravens and more so matching up against them with the running backs and tight ends. Both Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison have struggled quite a bit in coverage, and uh, they're definitely able to be attacked with your tight ends. I mean, Noah Fant, he hasn't, he's been kind of MIA the last couple games. He had a pretty solid first game, and then his blocking, his, I mean, he's been noticed because of his blocking, but. Uh, we need to get him going, especially with KJ Hamler gone, especially with Jerry Judy out. We got to get Noah Fant going. We got to build up his confidence. I've been watching him, and I've been trying to figure out if the lower body injury that he had in preseason still is bothering him because there's been a couple plays where it seems like it has been, but then other times it's not. And then the running backs, I mean, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams have both shown their ability to be receivers out of the backfield. And one way that you can get uh, – handle the pressure packages that the Baltimore Ravens are going to throw your way is by using your running backs to make them pay targeting just beneath the safeties, but behind the, the blitz package and try to get them the ball and letting them make something happen. Of course, this means that they have to catch the ball and not fumble it away. Javante Williams had both a drop and a fumble last week. So got to, got to keep, make sure he's going. And then Melvin Gordon is a concern to fumble it whenever he touches it. 
So that's definitely a concern. But if they want to sit there and try to get them, try to force the Ravens to ease up on their blitz packages, that'll be the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And there was something I was watching the uh, the Ravens and Lions game from this last week where the Ravens almost lost to the Lions in Detroit. In fact, it took a 66 yard field goal that hit the crossbar, uh, literally NFL record field goal that bounced. Yeah, in. but it shouldn't have. Hollywood right. Brown dropped two passes, like two touchdown and, passes. So yeah, he did. And I mean, that's also part of the game there. But something that I noticed was in the first about quarter and a half, the Lions were really not able to really muster anything offensively. And where things started changing was when they started targeting DeAndre Swift out in the flat in the passing game. And he actually had a really good game. I don't know the stats off the top of my head. I didn't really do much deep diving into that. But uh, when when Swift started getting the ball out on the boundary against uh, Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison, he was actually cr- very creative with the ball in his hands, slipped a couple of tackles. Those guys, uh, Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison, do a good job as far as uh, sea ball, chase ball. But they're not – high quality coverage defenders and with what the Ravens like to do defensively where they bring, you know, they'll run a too high shell and set everybody at the line of scrimmage and bring creative presser packages. It creates a long distance for those linebackers to run. And if you can get out quick into the flats, that's a way that you can exploit this, this Ravens defense pretty well with ease. Yeah. 13 of the 22 catches that the lions had came to running backs and tight ends. Um, DeAndre Swift was their second leading receiver behind uh, Khalif Raymond. He had, I believe it was seven catches for 60 yards. And yep. um, and then Darren Fells, the tight end, was two for 35 right behind him. So I went, when I was watching that game back, I mean, they, too, targeted the, the linebackers in coverage. Patrick Queen, he's got potential to grow there, but he still is growing and developing in coverage, getting more comfortable. And then Malik Harrison just isn't the best cover guy he's very much a sideline to sideline downhill type linebacker. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Baker jumping in here. Let's go four and oh was awesome meeting you guys. I wish I could have hung around, but I had to do the family duty hashtag uh, mile high huddle for life. Hashtag Denver Broncos for life. Uh, Andrew, dude, it was a pleasure to meet you, man. I understand we get it. We, we both have wives and kids and the family duty definitely calls. It was, it was a pleasure. I got a, a great picture with you. That's up on my Twitter account, guys. Uh, make sure you guys go check that out. It's also up on Facebook as well, but uh, Andrew, man, thank you for joining us tonight. And thank you for joining us this last weekend. It was, it was a, a a damn pleasure to meet you um for me as far as my uh as far as my key matchup to watch like you i i want to go to the offensive line especially with the news that it's going to be natani moody starting from the sound of it uh graham glasgow is likely going to be out for this game so moody's going to be starting at right guard well, right not at- not likely graham glasgow is out oh okay so i missed that update all i saw was that he was likely to be uh downgraded to out um and so that actually is news to me but uh with moody going against uh calais campbell a guy that has incredible length incredible strength moody doesn't have the length he has the strength but he's also not very good against guys with length so uh to me that's the big matchup to watch there but i'm gonna go away from that and i'm gonna say it's teddy bridgewater versus wink martindale the defensive coordinator for the baltimore ravens as i kind of alluded to earlier the ravens like to run a lot of too high shell stuff too man underneath um and they like to bring their linebackers and maybe even a cornerback uh, in and they put them all on the line of scrimmage remember when the broncos had i think it was larry coyer as their defensive coordinator back in 2004 2005 where they'd bunch a bunch of people up at the line of scrimmage and then bring four or five of those guys and drop everybody else back into coverage and you never actually knew where those defenders were coming from that's what this baltimore ravens defense likes to do a lot they like to bring five they like to bring six in six in creative blitz packages teddy bridgewater is going to have a hell of a day trying to figure out exactly what's coming to him and he's going to have to relay those calls to his line to his offensive line to get those uh those free rushers short up and get protection so that he can actually deliver the football that to me is a big matchup to watch it definitely is and i mean just touching up on it since you mentioned natani moody uh I, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about it and talking about the lack of length with him i saw somebody question us about it and just touching up on that is natani moody has 31 and three quarter inch arms which is good for being in the sixth percentile for interior offensive linemen. Like he just doesn't have the length. And when you're facing a longer pass rusher, somebody who does such a good job of keeping your, their blockers hands off of him, it's could potentially lead to a, a really rough day. Now length isn't everything. And there are definitely tricks and techniques that Moody can pick up to try and deal with it. But the issue is, is that 
We saw this be an issue with Jonathan Franklin Myers against the New York Jets. Is this week going to be enough for him to pick it up? It was an issue that we saw last year against the Carolina Panthers and the Raiders at the time, and it still is an issue. So I doubt that he's going to be able to pick it up by this time. So hope so, and I hope that whatever happens, that Denver's able to do something, um, keeping in Javante Williams to help block. I mean, quick passes, that's another way for it. Just something to try to limit the impact of him. And then going to Teddy Bridgewater versus Wink Martindale. I mean, it's those blitz packages. That's what it comes down to. And having Nathani Moody, Moody out there is going to be rough for that because it's going to require him and ask him to make a lot of reads with what's coming his way and quick reactions. And there's been a lot of questionable plays from him when it comes to being aware of what's going on around him. So hopefully he's able to work on that. Hopefully they're spending a lot of time in the film room and improving him there because that is the easiest way to get to the quarterback is your offensive lineman just missing who they're supposed to pick up. Yeah, absolutely, especially with a complex blitz design like the, the Ravens like to use. I want to ask you a question here because you actually have an article up on milehighhuddle.com. It's a film breakdown of what Quinn Miners was able to do against the New York Jets going against Folorenzo Fadokasi, who we actually both talked about uh, prior to the show or prior to the game, excuse me, on the uh, um, the walk-up show, the, the pregame show that we did live at Empower Stadium. Uh, so to me, we had uh, Quinn Miners versus – Natani Moody here and Miners was fantastic. Moody has been not necessarily so great at times. Uh, he shows the strength as a run blocker where to me it comes to, to which one would you rather have Quinn Miners or Natani Moody? If you had to choose I mean, one of them. The the simple answer is it doesn't matter who I would prefer because the coaches are going Natani right. Moody. And there could be multiple things for that. Part of it is likely the experience of Natani Moody. They probably feel a little bit more comfortable with that and him making the reads of these splits packages than they do with Quinn Miners, especially coming from Wisconsin Whitewater, who the college actually followed me on Twitter after that film article came out. Nice. Which, which is interesting, but uh, I digress from the point is – that's a big thing is like you got to have somebody who you, the coaches are comfortable out there with somebody who they believe that can go out there and better pick up these. And it could also be a comfort thing. Maybe quit miners just isn't super comfortable playing on the left side. We saw in the preseason that he didn't seem very comfortable playing at center right away. And he came in against the jets and he looked very comfortable at left guard where he spent most of his career at Wisconsin whitewater. So that's possibly plays into it. And well, I think that the biggest reason though, is the experience that they have, well, Nathani Moody isn't exactly loaded with experience. He still has more time under his belt than I think it was like 23 snaps that Quill Miners got against the Jets. Right. And I, I don't disagree with you on that, but going going back and watching your your uh, film breakdown, guys, go check it out. Eric does a great job here highlighting exactly what I'm about to talk about here. Uh, the awareness. The awareness of what's going on around him with Quinn Miners, it seemingly is a lot better than what we have with, with Nathani Moody. So to me... I would prefer to see Quinn Miners out there, even though, as you said, you know, rookie rookie guard coming out of Wisconsin, Whitewater, hasn't played football in over a year. But still, I mean, the way that he was able to stand up Folo Fadakasi, the way he was able to stand up Quinn and Williams in both the running game and the passing game, to me, that was just incredibly impressive. And we were sitting there watching the game live, and I pointed it out to you just a little bit like, hey, look at look at Quinn Miners out here. He, this guy is playing incredibly, incredibly great football. Like, like it was quite honestly amazing to see i'm just i'm not so sure with the with the lack of length that moody has going against a guy with with strength and, and length and calais campbell to me the better matchup there would be to insert quinn miners am i wrong in that kind of thinking i mean no i mean there's multiple reasons why if i was making the choice i probably would have gone quinn miners i i think that he's shown in the limited reps the small sample size, he showed more awareness. There was one play that I highlighted that he's reading the stunt before it even happens, and he's getting prepared for it as it's happening, and he's just able to pick it up so quickly, and that's something that neither Dalton Reisner or Nathani Moody have done a lot, done very well this year or last year in the case of Dalton Reisner. So it's something that gives me a little bit of comfort not and to not worry so much about the blitz pickup, but there was a lot of him just relying on his sheer strength to be able to stand up full of runs of Fadakasi or even Quinnen Williams on one of the reps and not so much technique. And that's another thing against this Baltimore Ravens defensive line. A lot of them are technicians. So if you don't have the right technique out there, they're going to break you down and they're going to get by you. 
Right. Absolutely. And the one nice thing, and someone brought it up earlier, I can't remember exactly who it was that said Derek Wolf is not going to be playing this week um, because he is injured. In fact, he was downgraded to out earlier today, but they still have Brandon Williams, that big nose tackle on the inside. Uh, Broderick Washington, Justin Matabuike is a guy that I know that you liked leading up to the draft last season. So that's going to be kind of interesting to see how the Ravens fill that void. Uh, Seth Harmon jumping in here with a $20 super. And Seth, we appreciate you, man. Thank you for that obviously we appreciate everybody's support here. Are the Broncos scoring more on the ground or in the air this game? Eric, I'll give you a breather here for a second. Uh, to me, and it, it goes down to the way that the Broncos have been winning football games and, and grinding out massive amounts of time of possession. They're averaging, they're, they're the number one team in the NFL right now in terms of average time of possession. It's like right at 34 or 35 minutes per game. Like it's an amazing feat that what they're doing, even though they're not very good on third down. So to me, it's the same exact thing. You got to keep the football out of Lamar Jackson's hands and limit his dynamic playmaking playmaking ability with the with the ball in his hands. So to me, the Broncos have to establish the run early, and that's something that while they continue to stick with it, they're not having a whole lot of success. So quite honestly, they've got to figure out a way to get the ground game going, keep Lamar Jackson on the sideline, and if they do get a, a scoring, a, a, you know, a touchdown pass or something like that from KJ or from uh, Teddy Bridgewater to you know Cortland Sutton or Tim Patrick. That would be great, but the Broncos have to win on the ground this week. They really do. Uh, uh, this, is, this game is set up for them to win through the air. The Ravens' defensive line, they're probably going to control the trenches and just completely shut down the Broncos' running game with the issues that they have up front. Like This is a game that they got to get it going through the air and be consistent with it, not make mistakes, trust the blocking, and then when it's there, does not go completely away from the run, and then try to use their passing game to open up the running game. That makes a lot of sense too. I didn't necessarily think about it like that. I just figured, you know, establish the ground, uh, establish the ground game, and get it. Get You're it just going. thinking like it was still the 2000s of the NFL. Well, I mean, run the ball, run the ball, open the pass. Yes. <laughs> uh, Lawrence Rivera jumping in here again. Uh, we appreciate you, man. I hope we can do something with our O line to get the running game going since we are hurting and hopefully screens. Uh, I feel like we will be blitz all game. And if, uh, let's see, and if not, hit them in the middle and, uh, I'm not sure what that 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 uh, emoji is there. Anyways, hit him in the middle Teddy. and uh, make uh, Teddy and uh, Lamar battle it out. I trust Vaughn. You couldn't tell that the teddy bear was Teddy. Oh, I can't see it. It's it's so small <laughs> on my side. Sorry about that. Uh, may, yeah, make Teddy beat him out. It, I I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, I it goes back to something I said earlier, and maybe not necessarily as far as like you know establishing the running game, but using creative ways to extend the running game, like getting you know quick screens, quick. Uh, passes out into the into the flats uh quick slant routes and eric you're actually right on that i i don't know what the hell i was thinking there <laughs> um i can't remember who it was there was somebody on twitter that posted out that i mean screens to tight ends and slot receivers closer to the line of scrimmage aren't terrible i mean they're not the most effective play but outside screens or screens to the outside receiver are are a major negative so i just don't want to see any of that i'm fine with you know, trying to get one of the running backs open, get a screen going that way. But uh, I'm very adamant. I hate screen plays. I hate them when I played. I hated defending them. Like I just hate them. I loathe them, and I just don't like seeing them. <laughs> we know you've been pr plenty <laughs> vocal about that. Gary Lee's Palmer jumping in here on Facebook. Uh, I think Quinn Miners is better than Dalton Reisner, and that might be a discussion that we need to start having, you know, everyone's talking about moving on from Graham Glasgow and that big contract after this season, but uh, Alton Reiser has been playing pretty shaky. Eric, what do you think? I'm not ready to say that Miners is better than Reisner at this point, but there was definitely a lot of promise that we got to see with Miners in this game. And if he can get the technique down and improve that way, like he could be a really good guard. And so it's gotten to the point where as long as he develops next year, I'm fine with letting Dalton Reisner walk after next season. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And uh, Mike, uh, Mark Lindemu jumping in here saying that I hate screenplays too, Eric. So uh, yeah. and I got to, I got to, I got to apologize to his wife because uh, it's universe. It's UW whitewater, right? Cause I kept saying Wisconsin whitewater and apparently that's incorrect. So. Oh, okay. I, I I always thought it was Wisconsin Whitewater, so thanks for the correction on that. Uh, DeAndre Weatherspoon jumping in here and saying that the Broncos can beat the Ravens. I actually firmly believe that they can, and I think that they will. Uh, we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. But, uh, Eric, obviously well, – go ahead. 
real quick, I think that there's a lot of fear about the Ravens, who I think that the um the uh the the Ravens are a good team. Like they're not bad by any means. But they are overrated, especially that defense, which is what I've seen is causing so much fear in Bronco fans. I'm more afraid of the offense by far. Their coverage unit is has been towards the bottom in the NFL this year so far. And they just do such a good job against the run. And then their offense does such a good job. Like, so I'm not a super afraid of that. And then I see a lot of people afraid of the Steelers in I can't remember who it was. Um but somebody put out a video that had like old grainy film put over Steelers tape from the Browns and saying this kind of this kind of gameplay would never work in the in the modern NFL, and that was the best thing ever. Um, uh, that was so good. It the, was so it's, good. It's, it's the complete opposite for the Steelers game. Is I'm not afraid of that offense by any means. It's the defense that can kill you. So these next two games, I'm not sitting here saying that Denver will win them guaranteed. But it's not games that Denver that are written in stone that Denver will lose. Right. And that actually goes back to the point that I was trying to make and have made for the last couple of weeks now as far as the, the Broncos schedule right now. Everyone's like, oh, we got to wait until they see the, the what the Raven the, what they look like against the Ravens. They've got that big stretch in the middle of the season, you know, Ravens, Ravens, Steelers, uh, Browns, and then Raiders, and then they go into the bye. Like, I don't care. I, I literally don't care. Because you never like you can look at it on paper leading into the season and even over the first three weeks of the season. Does everybody realize that the that the Ravens defense is 27th in the NFL in yards per play against this year, and they have a bottom five passer rating and the uh, passer rating against in the first quarter? Like this Ravens defense is not great. Now there's a caveat to that. I will say this: they played against the the Chiefs in Week Two. They had the Raiders in Week One. Both of those teams have high flying, explosive offenses, and they put up a lot of points. I mean, the the Ravens were allowing 34 points per game over the first two weeks of the season. Now they they went out and they handled their business against the Lions, but that Lions team is not necessarily very great. I would take the Broncos even without uh, Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. I would take their pass catching options over the Lions right now without question. I mean, quite honestly, they have what Quintess Cephas is their top wide receiver. Uh, Trinity Benson is a, a, an afterthought there. TJ Hawkinson is great. Don't get me wrong. He's still got a long ways to go. Like as far as their pass catching options go, the Lions are bottom bottom five in the NFL. And even without KJ Hamler or Jerry Judy, the Broncos still have two really good receivers in Sutton and uh, Tim Patrick. So it, it really comes down to how the offensive line holds up. And if the Broncos can figure out a way to uh, escape those blitz packages that the, that the Ravens want to throw at them, this team can go hang 30 on them. They really can. And I will say this is that the Baltimore Ravens, for as good as they are on the uh, the defensive line, they didn't exactly dominate against the Lions. I still fear. I, I still have a fear against them because there's just so much potential with that. And after the the rough game they had against the Lions, with the veterans that they have, like they'll probably come out on a mission. And but uh, this Ravens team, it's just not a good team. And uh, I'm going to go on record. I'm going to say that after seven games, the Broncos are no worse than five and two. I don't disagree with you. I really don't. I think that the, quite honestly, I think the first loss that they see comes in week seven against the, against the Browns Thursday night football in Cleveland against a team that runs the ball very well and is playing lights out defense as well. Like they, they should beat the, the Ravens this week. They should beat the Steelers next week as well, especially if they can get after Ben Roethlisberger, who looks like a shadow of himself. Literally he's a tree back there. Um, like the, the Broncos should handle business and go out and start off five and zero. Oh. Quite honestly, they really should. Week uh, so week six, excuse me, against the against the Browns. That should be their first loss this season. Quite honestly, I, and I firmly believe that. Um, especially, you know, if I was talking about it uh, after the game on the uh, the the gut reaction this last week against the Jets. The spectrum of competitiveness. I mentioned this last week as well on my big long rant. Where the Broncos are at right now on the spectrum of competitiveness, they're winning the they're winning close games, or they're starting to move into that spectrum of winning close games, and they're handling their business against inferior opponents. So to me, that right there says a lot. They're blowing out opponents that they should be beating, plain and simple. You know, tw- twenty six to zero is a 
obviously a shutout blowout. That's huge. That's something that we haven't seen from this Broncos team. Now they're going into a, a team that's banged up. They've got 14 players listed on the on the injury report right now. They're missing their starting left tackle in Ronnie Stanley, who's one of the top five left tackles in the NFL. And they're missing Derek Wolf, like Lamar Jackson's banged Vill- up. And Alejandro Villanueva has been really bad. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Now let's get back into a little bit more of this before we before we shut down the uh, um, before we shut down the stream tonight. Uh, Eric, obviously, we did the, the key matchups to watch. Give me an under the radar player that nobody's necessarily talking about for the Baltimore Ravens that can really destroy this game for the Broncos. That no one's talking about. Yeah, that no uh, one's Hollywood really talking Brown. about. There you go. I mean, we've seen a couple issues with the Broncos being able to stop the deep pass already this season. And, I mean, Hollywood Brown has got the speed to take a top off. And it it works perfectly with what Lamar Jackson can do with his legs because you have to be cautious of that. But you can't you can't have your safeties cheating their coverage. So it's he's the one guy that he could easily go off and have a day against this Broncos defense. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And for the exact same reason, the deep pass. And a lot of it comes from with Lamar Jackson extending the play in the pocket and even outside of the pocket. Uh, something that the Broncos really have to do here is they have to focus on maintaining their rush lanes up front with their front four. And obviously with Vic Fangio, he doesn't like to bring a lot of creative pressure schemes as far as blitzers go. He wants to leave seven guys in coverage as much as possible. Um, so they cannot uh, allow Lamar Jackson to who he's actually done a really good job this season so far that I've seen of climbing the pocket and breaking contain because that's where everything opens up. And when he holds on to the football, he's, he's very capable of being sacked quite honestly, but when he extends and creates plays with his legs, especially behind the line of scrimmage, he's always looking to go deep. Another guy that you didn't mention here, and I'm going to Mark Andrews. This guy is sneaky, sneaky. Good. I, we talked about this when uh, we were talking, I think who was it that got paid? I can't remember who it was. Anyways, uh, we talked about it in our tight, our top five tight ends um, podcast a couple, a couple months ago about uh, Mark Andrews. And I was so wrong about him. I called him, specifically a a red zone guy a guy that really big body big catch guy this guy's got some athleticism he knows how to run routes he gets open very easily he's sneaky especially when the play breaks down that guy is going to be incredibly difficult to defend for this broncos defense uh cody w jumping in here with a two dollar super chat uh thanks cody we appreciate you buddy uh the ravens couldn't cover waller at all ball has to go to the tight ends eric what do you think about that well, I mean, he had over 100 yards and, what, two touchdowns, I think, in yeah. that game? Um, I can't remember exactly. Like, it's what I was saying is just got to get your matchups. They got to use Fant. They got to use Oak Wibbenham. They got to use Eric Saubert. And they got to attack these linebackers and the safeties because one of the starting safeties, if not both of them are on the injury report too, um, one of them I think is doubtful. I, I haven't actually looked at the, the uh, injury report yet today, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, things are looking very favorable for the Broncos to really rely on their tight ends and their running backs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, going back to your comment about the safeties here, I got their injury report pulled up. Deshaun Elliott is listed as questionable. Geno Stone is questionable as well. And then Chuck Clark has a hip injury. He is questionable as well. So, they, so like, they're both just questionable. I thought one yeah. of them was doubtful. Yeah, so uh, or at least that's per the Ravens' official website. So obviously, Ronnie Stanley's out. That, seriously, guys, this injury is a laundry list long. So like, just Houston's there. Um, Chuck Clark, Marlon Humphrey has a knee injury, so he's kind of banged up there. Tavon Young as well. Uh, Sammy Watkins. Uh, actually, they just had him as a as a rest day there. So excuse me on that. Uh, Pernell McPhee is another guy they have listed as questionable. So the Broncos have kind of an interesting uh, interesting matchup here because they might have some injuries that they could exploit holy cow dale wow <laughs> dale jumping in here man. with a hundred dollar super chat man holy cow <laughs> dale like thank you so much man for the for the tickets and then for this super generous uh super chat man it, it was great meeting you it was awesome meeting you and your wife I mean, and again, thank you so much for the tickets. It was an awesome experience for me. He says, good to see you gents back at it. There is no reason Trimmer should not be able to scheme an offensive game plan to beat the Ravens. We still have three tight ends, three running backs, and two solid wide receivers that can play if Boone plays. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is one game that when Boone went on injured reserve for the short term, I was really hoping he was back for this game because his speed on this offense, especially with KJ Hamler out, 
could really be effective against this Ravens defense, even before the injuries that they've sustained to it. Yeah. Boone was had a solid matchup. So I hope he plays in. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, this is a game where Shermer, he's got to show that he can look at a team and see where the matchups are favorable and then go out and exploit them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of hope that he takes a page out of Greg Roman's book here just a little bit, because when you watch the Ravens offense, they like to go a lot of 12 and 13 personnel. So one running back, two tight ends, three tight ends. But they also do a lot of uh, 21 and 22 looks. Will it be two running backs and two tight ends? I think that this is actually a, a matchup exploitable for the Broncos to be able to do. Let's go, let's call it some uh, gun two back sets where they have Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon on the field at the same time. Gun 22 looks with Noah Fant, Albert O on the field with both running backs as well like they can really exploit these linebackers and honestly this cornerback group is not necessarily very good I mean Marlon Humphrey obviously banged up but after they lost Marcus Peters that secondary unit is really banged up and they the, uh, Jimmy Smith is not playing to the level that he's accustomed to seeing obviously we, we just talked about their their safeties being banged up 21 22 uh, 12 13 personnel feed me it I want to see all of that this week and this is also a really good game to utilize Andrew Beck again. Um, mm-hmm. He had some rough moments against the Jets, but he had a big part in both touchdown runs. And uh, yeah, I would love to see him get out there and with in two running back sets, going big twenty-two personnel, and just go and just attack the this Ravens defense with size, where the Broncos really have an advantage. Yeah. Well, and not only size, they have, they have uh, height, weight, speed, athleticism mismatches that they can go utilize, especially with Noah Fant and Albert Okawegbanov. If they want to, if they want to put those two guys out there and get them lined up against safeties and linebackers, they're, they're bigger than they're bigger than most safeties they are faster than most linebackers. There's a lot of mismatch opportunities for this Broncos offense to really utilize and quite honestly, take it to this Ravens team. Guys, uh, I'm not going to throw out my score prediction tonight, guys. Make sure you guys head on over to milehighhuddle.com. Check out the Mile High Huddle roundtable piece. All of our score predictions, everybody on staff, that went live today at like 1.30 or 2 o'clock this afternoon. Go check that out. Uh, Lauren Favera jumping in here. One last one before we kind of wind things down unless the chat starts popping off here. Uh, how is the, officiating, uh, the officiating staff looking? I know the game calls have been horrible. Um, I don't necessarily look at the officiating matchup, like the, who's going to be officiating the game just because quite honestly, if you're leaving it up to the officials, you haven't done enough on the field to actually deserve to win the game. And there are sometimes bad calls happen. Don't, don't get me wrong. I will say that. But if you're relying on that one bad call to happen, what are the other 10 plays that you missed earlier in the game that would have made the difference for you to win the game without having that blown call? That to me is the, is the biggest takeaway there. So with the officials in this, the Broncos are actually five and three under the head referee, and their one of the losses was the New Orleans Saints game last year. So, yeah. just just a fun fact. Uh, Michael Ronquillo jumping in here. Twenty four Broncos to Ravens seventeen. Um, somewhere pretty close to that, quite honestly. We'll le- we'll let you uh, we'll let you guys go check out that roundtable piece. Uh, one more call out. Did you have a, a specific? comment there scott that you wanted to grab for dale or are we just going to shout out dale again because dale's just wonderful yeah let's just shout him out again dude like quite honestly it, it was amazing to see dale and gretchen and those guys were phenomenal the nicest dang people we met there arguably was was those two obviously uh super grateful there we go d-dub jumping back in here our secondary is benefiting from every game in cohesiveness uh hoping to see at least a pick this game and quite honestly they should be able to get him i mean they, they should be able to get lamar jack but uh, back to it, Dale, man, you guys and your hospitality, like I said earlier, your hospitality, um, the, the, the way you guys showed us a great time, um, your your generosity, everything about you. You guys are family to me, quite honestly. It was, it was a blessing to be able to hang out with you guys all, all game long. Yeah, it was. And being, just being able to chat before a game, getting, getting in, getting pictures, like it was just awesome. You gave me a wonderful experience for my first time ever getting to a Broncos game. And I will say, though, that I'm a little glad that Lance sat, be, sat between you and I because you're whistling <laughs> during the game. Like afterwards, so I could loud. still hear it for a few minutes. Like, man, like just a little glad, just a little glad there. But uh, yeah, it was it just was. awesome to meet you and your family. And uh, yeah, yeah, the, the whistling. Awesome. The whistling was so loud. I swear, I swear to goodness, my ears were piercing every single time. And it, it was great. It was it was so great. He took a million videos and sent me a whole bunch of pictures and everything. Like uh hanging out with Dale was was just awesome, guys. 
but uh, any do we got any other big questions here? Uh, I just oh, wanted to give go. this one out to our Powell saying asking if David Moore playing. He is. How much remains to be seen, but he is expected to play. I guess he came in and impressed right away. Which doesn't surprise me. David Moore, everyone wants to kind of sleep on that. And I, I wrote an article, um, five wide receivers that the Broncos could uh, go and target um, even after signing David Moore. And I actually wrote that article before they signed David Moore. And then uh, we published that as well. But uh, David Moore is an underrated, signed, underrated signing for this Broncos team. He was really good in Seattle. It, it wasn't like the, the the biggest hero by any stretch of the imagination. He had six touchdowns last, I, I believe it was in 2019, 2020 maybe. Uh, and then he also had another five touchdown season. Uh, I think it was his rookie year as well, working primarily out of the slot. He's not a deep burner kind of a guy, 4 uh, 4 kind of speed, um, decent route runner, super tough, super physical. You get the ball in his hands. He's like a running back. Um, I, I do enjoy, and Chase, to answer your question here, I do enjoy this uh, the uh, the David Moore signing a lot. Eric, what do you think of David Moore? I mean, I like it. Um, it is funny that he, was, that he was able to be poached off a practice squad, and he comes in with more touchdowns than any Broncos receiver. Yeah. Like, yep. I mean, that doesn't mean he's, a, he's an outstanding receiver by any means or anything like that. It's just funny that that happens to be the case and i do want to go back and i didn't get a chance to say this about dale's comment about the secondary and getting an interception i hope they get two and just keep the streak going yeah right yeah man i <laughs> tell you so after watching the uh the chiefs game i watched that game live the, the ravens chiefs game week two and then i watched it again earlier this afternoon um lamar jackson has some questionable decision making with the football. Let's just say that. And Tyran Matthew picked him off twice, including on the, I think it was their first drive, picked him off and returned it for a touchdown to start off the scoring in that game to give the Chiefs a seven nothing lead. So Justin Simmons, man, where are you at? Let's let's go get two of those things, please. I'm telling you. Uh, Cody W jumping back in as well with another $2 super chat. Uh, it would be funny if Patrick balls out against the Ravens because the Ravens let him go. Yes, they did. Eric, what do you think about that? That was one thing that I always thought was funny with the Ravens calling around and trying to get something in a trade done for him because they're the ones who let him go in the first place. And sometimes that's just how it works out. I mean, for the longest time, the Broncos struggled to find a punter and just look at the punters that they had that they let go that are still around the NFL, just killing it. Um, Brett Kern specifically comes to mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely right on that. Uh, let's see here. I'm running through the uh, through the comment stream really fast. See if we've got anything jumping out at me. And I don't um, believe. Actually, Alex go. Came, go ahead. Go ahead. Alex came in and said Mike Boone won't play. I checked Twitter and everything still says that he could, but he just may not. So I don't know where you're getting that he won't. Um, just something yeah. to keep in mind. I know that he got called back off of IR. Vic actually confirmed that. I believe that was on Tuesday that they were bringing him off of the IR. I, and as Dale jumps in here and says, I thought Boone was still up in the air. Perhaps they should play it safe with him if he's not 100%. And I don't disagree with you on that. Um, there was another one that I wanted to grab. I just saw it right before the stream jumped. Uh, R. Powell actually coming in here and says, hopefully we get Kiki QT and he can replace Spencer on special teams. Um Spoiler alert, there's an article, five wide receivers that the Broncos should be able to go and get as well after the David Moore signing. Kiki QT was on that list, by the way. So great minds think alike there. Uh, let's see here. Anything else? Scott, you got anything? No? All right, guys. That's going to do it for us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. Thank you all for joining us. You guys can follow us on Twitter by finding me at SandersonMHH for Eric at Eric Trickle. And also shout out again to the great Scott Kennedy out at Scout Kennedy on Twitter. Uh, thanks for running the one ones and twos behind the glass, man. We appreciate you on that. I'm going to take the controls here for a second. Uh, also, guys, make sure you guys are following at DVDD underscore pod. That's where you're going to find what we're talking about every single week. We'll throw some hot takes and stuff out there on that as well every now and again but that's a great way to stay in touch with what's going on with the dove valley deep divers podcast also guys at mile high huddle make sure you guys are following that because that is the mother account and that is where you're going to get breaking news and analysis film breakdowns opinion articles anything regarding your denver broncos <coughs> excuse me at <coughs> At Mile High Huddle is where you guys are going to find that. Facebook supporters, make sure you guys go to facebook.com slash Mile High Huddle. Click that blue Become a Supporter button because that's where you're going to get premium inside content from Mile High Huddle, including the Trickle Zone airing every Saturday at noon. Eric, Trickle Zone's on this week, right? Yep. 
What are we talking about? Are we just breaking down more Ravens tape, or what do you got going on? It's going to be looking at the Ravens game. During the season, it's always going to be focusing about the upcoming game. Okay, sounds good. So that's where you're going to get uh, the Trickle Zone, obviously, on Facebook.com. Uh, also, guys, you're going to get Kellerman's Corner and Broncos Book Club with Chad, with Chad Jensen. Uh, folks, if you guys are financially able to do so, and they're willing to do so, head on over to HuddleUpPod.com. That's the merch tent. That's where you're going to get one of those uh, T-shirts that my buddy Eric is wearing over here, that Dove Valley Deep Divers T-shirt. There's a hat. There's a hoodie, there's a face mask, anything to suit your fancy, anything to support your favorite podcast, or just the milehighhuddle.com website as in general. And also, guys, new merch. New merch. This one's uh, shout out to Scott here. Broncos for Breakfast just released a new coffee cup on the merch site. Make sure you guys go get one of those. I need that in my life right now. Um, let's see here. Also, Can we call it something other than a coffee cup? Coffee mug? Well, besides coffee, because I mean... Well, I mean, it, <laughs> I don't okay. drink coffee. Well, that's 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 what it is, though. It's uh, okay, fine. Let's just we'll just call it a cup. It's a, it's a handled <laughs> cup that says Broncos for breakfast. They look amazing, by the way. I really really want one. Uh, guys, if you're not financially able to do so, or it's just not your bag, you know, buying merch and stuff like that, it's fine. We all understand. It, it's it definitely appreciated. But if you're not willing to do so, subscribe wherever you guys are watching. It doesn't matter. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. Anywhere you guys are watching this, subscribe to Mile High Huddle. Like every video you guys see. And if you love the content that we put up here at Mile High Huddle and on the WLID Divers podcast, make, you guys, make sure you guys share it out to the rest of the world. Get it in front of as many Broncos fans as possible because without you and without your support, we couldn't do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos on a weekly basis. Now, with that, guys, one more quick – hey, yeah, our power coming in here, shot glasses. We need one of them. Uh, <laughs> just shout outs to everybody that joined us in the chat eric before we get out of here any last words big dog yeah for everybody i didn't really get a chance to thank everybody for joining up a whole lot um but it was awesome meeting everybody michaela it was awesome meeting you i saw earlier if you're still in here i saw earlier that you just said that you're another nobody and watching the meet and greet that's definitely not true yeah. there were people there that were just as happy probably more happy to see you than lance and i that's like true. you are definitely the Duchess of MHH, and it was awesome meeting you, uh, Dale. Awesome meeting you as well. Meeting Kenneth Booker and and so many others whose names are just escaping my head. Like just everybody, it was awesome meeting you all. Thank you guys for coming out and joining us for that, and making giving a making it be a wonderful Sunday. That was well worth the trip for me, even without the game, but the game just added to it. So thank you guys for that. And I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend and go Broncos. Yeah. And as Scott just said here, we got to give another big shout out and a, a huge thank you to Dr. Graham Cohen for coming on and, and joining us tonight, breaking down what it means for KJ Hamler as far as his surgeries is uh, regarding his surgery and everything like that. Uh, the rehab process, Super huge thanks to him. I wish we had a, a Twitter handle. He doesn't have a Twitter. He has an Instagram, but he didn't give that to us before he left. But shout out to, to Graham Cohen uh, for uh, for joining us today. We really appreciate him. And thank you all for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. For Eric Trickle, for Scott Kennedy, I'm Lance Sanderson. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week. Uh, you all stay safe. Take care. Have a great weekend. And as always, before we get out of here, go Broncos. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.